Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. On today's Making Contact. We right here close to me, we have the African, um, what they call the Palma Africana de Cucrahil. But they take it out, carry it to Costa Rica, when they then bring back the aisle, come sell us at a, at a high price. Our culture is in danger. It is in danger. Producer Maria Dor takes us to the eastern coast of Nicaragua, where Creole people like Connie Tinoco and John Watson are struggling to hold on to their culture, food, and livelihoods. In recent decades, palm plantations have taken over land traditionally used for growing coconuts. The developed countries who are the ones behind this, they are projecting their stuff, their products and everything, their ideologies, their everything towards the underdeveloped countries, which are us. And soon we become dependent of them. From the farms to the lagoons and the cities, how are Creole people in Nicaragua resisting the influx of palm and the pressures of globalization? And what are they doing to keep their traditions alive for the next generation? I'm Marie Cha, and you're listening to Making Contact. of Nicaragua is expansive. It's where dense tropical rainforests are crisscrossed with rivers, and where wide brown lagoons connect to the Caribbean Sea. What does it mean to be Creole in Nicaragua? As I traveled along the Caribbean coast this summer, I asked people this question. More often than not, they turn to music or to food to explain what their culture means to them. Pressures of globalization are affecting Creole food and culture. We're headed to the farm, the lagoon, and the city to understand the impact these pressures are having and what's being done to keep food traditions alive. Yes, you give them food life. They like when you give them meat. <laughs> Come. Pretty chicken then. My name is Connie Tinoco. I'm from Rocky Pine. We're at the home of Miss Connie. She lives here with her husband in a two-story wood house, surrounded by roaming chickens, horses, and pigs. Her house is a 30-minute walk down a winding dirt path, past coconut groves, cacao trees, and pastures. This is the Rocky Point community on the eastern coast of Nicaragua. There are about 60 families here, and the nearest town is a 20-minute bus ride away. I have a garden. In my garden, I have um, all type of plants. I have coffee, guanabana, mangoes, orange. We grow pine, pineapple. We plant beans one time for the year. We plant rice one time for the year. Coconut is one of Miss Connie's biggest crops and one of the most important. 
With it, she can make coconut oil and uses the coconut waste product to feed her hogs. She then sells the oil and the pigs to help her children through university on the Pacific side of Nicaragua. I work here on the farm. I raise hogs and make coconut oil. With the coconut oil, the trash and the water from the coconut oil, I feed my hogs them. So I do a double, double work. <laughs> yes, both oils and hogs. That's a little income coming in because my husband's salary is small and I have three children in the Pacific studying. We identify ourselves as Creole because we are mixed. So for us, Creole means mixed. I am Creole. <laughs> I am Creole. Creoles are mixed-race descendants of African slaves and freed blacks, who formed autonomous communities and intermarried with local indigenous tribes, such as the Rama and Mosquito, all along the Central American coast and in the Caribbean. Rocky Point has been a Creole community for generations. From a child, we used to come Rocky Point with my father. We used to, my father had a cocoa farm, and we used to come pick cocoa and burst it get it ready or come be with him because he used to live back here. I used to feel free. I always love Rocky Pine and my husband loved Rocky Pine so we decided to to live back here. The fruits, vegetables, grains and animals grown on the soil are vital to Miss Connie's farming community and are the foundation for many Creole dishes. Yes. What we eat is Creole cooking. For example, rondong, rice and beans, super fresco, breadfruit cake that is coming from our forefathers. Rondon is a coconut milk-based curry with plantains, fish, yuca, and other tubers. Wherever you go on the coast, you're sure to find someone cooking a big pot of rondon. Why, when I say come from our forefather, that come from a way back, that's traditional. We, not everybody follow it. I, yes, I am one of them that follow, because I grew with my grandfather, and I did so love my grandfather. All those things I keep in my mind to always remember him, because he used to be who mind me, and take care of me and I used to, he used to cook all those things. The food that my grandparents and me used to cook is very important and that is what identifies me as a Creole. Not only is Miss Connie's food important to her Creole culture, it's important for her family. Miss Connie's husband and brother-in-law are also part of the Rocky Point community. My name is Kenneth Fox. My wife is known as uh, Connie, Connie Tinoco. Well, um, I live with my family out there in Rocky Point, but um, also well, I, I work with an NGO, Fadkanik. It's Spanish, meaning for Foundation for Autonomy and Development of the Atlantic Coast of Nicaragua. Everybody know me here in Rocky Point. My real name is Edward Fox. I'm Kenneth brother. Connie, Kenneth, and Edward all said that coconut is at the center of all the traditional foods. Coconut oil is used to fry, and coconut milk is the basis of many dishes. Miss Connie and her family still use coconut the traditional way. Edward took me outside to make criminal. Criminal, spelled with a K, is a Creole drink, more like a rich smoothie, that's made of coconut milk and boiled breadfruit. You, how you peel the breadfruit, and then you cut it as small as you can, and then back to that piece. 
You put it to boil as much as you can boil, soft as you can. Soft as it boil, it, the easier it is to beat. This is the old time system, the old people used to call it the wabul stick. This one we use for, for beating. The wabul stick is made of wood with the bark stripped away. The flat bottom of the stick is used to beat the soft boiled breadfruit into a pulp. So we beat it as fine as you can get it. As fine as you can go, we beat it. Then the boiled water we throw in another pan because the same boiled water we used to mix it back. Then we have the coconut, we grate the coconut again and get the cream out of it. Then we just make, mix it again with the breadfruit. Criminal, yeah. You don't beat that fine cream, huh? Not all people still make food like Miss Connie and her family. They don't want to grate a coconut to cook with. They rather go and buy the palm oil. They think hard to go and grate a chip of coconut, grate and make a nice rice and beans with coconut, or a rum down. That is too much work. And that's not good for the health. Coconut is healthier, but they know that's too hard for them. They're losing the tradition totally. One threat to Miss Connie and her Creole culture is palm oil. Outsiders are planting palm plantations near Rocky Point. These oil companies are in competition with Miss Connie's coconut oil business. We right here close to me, we have the African palm, what they call the Palm Africana, the Kukra Hill. But they take it out, carry it to Costa Rica, when they then bring back the oil, come sell us at a, at a high price. Our culture is in danger. It is in danger. John Watson is a member of the communal government. He works in the Rocky Point area. He spoke about how palm oil is pressuring Creole farmers to move away from their traditional foods and to grow palm in place of their food crops. My food had changed, yes. And we used to use a lot of coconut to cook with. A lot of coconut food we used to use. Them time we used to use coconut oil, not vegetable oil. But since now, you know, I mean, that coming in is much easier. We just go and buy that. I remember back in the, back in the 70s, we used to produce a banana in Kokra. That stopped. It come to the cane. We used to produce sugar in Kokra. That stopped. Now we produce in palm, palm oil. Where the palm oil go? The raw material go to Costa Rica to be refined. And all what stay behind the trash from Nicaragua. The palm is getting bigger and bigger. The palm oil companies make big profits on the coast, and all the palm grown in this area is shipped down to Costa Rica for refinement, before it's brought back and sold in the markets. The companies have been trying to expand their plantations over the last few years. People from the palm company approach us, no? To establish uh, African palm on our territory. Well, we, we told them that uh, we don't want them to do with establishing African palm plantation on our, our lands. The establishment of the palm plantation is practically surrounding um, the southern border of our municipality. These nearby palm plantations create economic competition with local coconut businesses, alters the food being eaten, and brings in unwanted pests that can harm the coconut groves. The palm affects a lot because it brings a lot of insects that affect our, our coconuts. Because our coconut is familiar palm. So it brings the piculo. With the piculo, you have the sickness what near rojo, what kill the coconut. And you have the bugs 
what eat from the bottom. So you have one eating from the top and one eating, and it's the palm bring them. To fight off the insects, the palm companies spray huge amounts of pesticides. The palm produces a lot of employment, but it also brings a lot of um, distress. Because of that, you know, they're only interested in one thing, in taking up our property, our lands. At any cost, they're going to get it. You know, the, the pesticide that they use, they use a lot of pesticide. They fumigate every minute, you see man in right, fumigating, I mean. Those pesticides, when the rainy weather come, it washes right down in the river. And by getting in the river, it comes to the lagoon. And because of that, you know, we have a lot of dead fish in the lagoon. You understand? A lot of us speculate that it's from the palm. And we could say it's from the palm, because that's where the pesticide is used, you understand? But if you say an investigation, come out and investigate and conclude that's where it's coming from, it will never happen. You're listening to Making Contact. I'm Marie Cha. If you're just tuning in, we're on the eastern coast of Nicaragua, where producer Maria Dorr takes us to the farm, the lagoon, and the city to hear about how Creole people are resisting the influx of palm and the pressures of globalization. Next, we head to the lagoon, where the rain carries the pesticides used in palm production. We're at the wharf in the lagoon near Rocky Point. Small wooden kayaks bob next to the dock as larger motorboats come in with the day's catch. We've come here to talk to the fishers themselves, to see how the introduction of the palm is threatening the fishing economy and compounding scarcity issues. Now we have maybe like practically almost 500 fishermen, so now everything gets scarce. And bring snooks, and build a pole, and come out, and jack, just like this. But right now the fish is getting low. Why? I don't know why. What usually happens now is like they're using more, more traps, more gill nets, more to reach that production. The catches are getting lower, and there are more boats in the lagoon. The fish is very important. You make Rondon out of chicken. <laughs> it's not the same. Rondon, Rondon is fish. Rondon is fish. Fish is essential for Rondon and for many of the Creole dishes. But higher prices and fewer fish make it all much more difficult. To add to the problem, the fish from the lagoon is being shipped out of the community to keep profits up. It's something that the whole basin depends on. So then we have to have some market somewhere and to continue taking out production. We send it to Bluefields, there they um, select it and get it prepared, send it to Managua and it continue going till they reach, export it to the outer country. The fish that don't leave the country go to nearby Bluefields the biggest city on the eastern coast of Nicaragua, with a population of about 50,000 people. Part of the reason the fish go here is because there's not much left in the Bluefields Bay due to contamination and overfishing. Creole people in Bluefields, such as Derby Gay Sterling, are facing similar pressures as their rural counterparts. Once you could go, 
right out there from the wire, there where you're coming through, and throw your net and get any amount of fishes, big shrimps and everything. No, it's polluted. People still fish there and eat it. But it's not healthy because all the garbage goes there, all the contaminations go there, and the fishes are contaminated, I would say. Traditional Creole food is also changing in the city. While palm plantations and overfishing are two of the biggest factors of change in rural areas, in blue fields, globalization is pressuring people to give up their cultural identities and conform to generic city lifestyle. This is my sister's home, Santa Rosa, with my daughter, Tiffany, and my grandson, Jeremiah, my grandniece, Ciara, and a neighbor. <laughs> One of Ciara's little friend. Come, Cianita. Ciana and Ciara, they are my sister's Hello. grandchildren. This is a, a lady's home, no, no boys. <laughs> Bring that papa, thanks, thank you. Oh, how sweet. Come, let me wipe you, come. Both Miss Connie and Miss Gay make criminal, but they do it differently. While in Rocky Point they would grate the coconut and pound the breadfruit by hand, in the city they have a stove, a blender, and they buy grated coconut. Then we're going to peel the breadfruit and put it to boil. Hmm? I can't handle this kind of knife, man. Uy, yeah, man. And we are waiting until the breadfruit is cooked. Then we are going to blend it with the coconut milk and make our criminal. Food is changing in the city. They're using easier processes, but Miss Gay is still making the same Creole dishes. She still drinks her criminal, and she still prepares her rondon. Um, first, they used to use a wobble stick, and then you beat it, mash it. Well, I personally haven't used one of them because it's easier to blend it. It's easier not to be real Creole. It's easier to, to buy the things. Instead of just doing things the traditional way, you know, it was, it was harder. No, you have a lot of facilities in the city. Have you, as you had seen, we just go to the shop and ask for a coconut. That girl chipped the coconut and grater it and sell it. I know that grater coconut. This is Mr. Bigay's sister. I don't like to grate her coconut. I, I, it's like a lot of time and it's some time, you know? It caught you and... Did you grate her before coconut? Did you? You like it? You don't like it either? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a difficult, so I rather to, um, like, how gay did it, bite, and then you just squeeze it out. And no matter of fact, I hardly eat coconut food. But I like it. Not say I don't like it. I like it, but it's a lot more work. You didn't put more time with the food. Pressures to conform and discard Creole culture are very present in the city. Being Afro-descendant in a mostly Hispanic nation comes with its difficulties. Globalization... The main objective of globalization is to, to bring everybody together and be as one. Ethnicity is individuality, it's difference. It's, that is what makes us different. Each ethnic group have their own lifestyle, their own way of seeing the world, their own way of living, which is different from the others. But then globalization say no, everybody got to dress the same, talk the same, eat the same, and think the same. The influx of foreign goods and ideas is having a measurable impact on ethnic Creole food and culture. The developed countries 
who are the ones behind this, they are projecting their stuff, their products and everything, their ideologies, their everything towards the underdeveloped countries, which are us. And soon we become dependent of them by consuming their products, by dressing, using their clothes, especially the eating. It's bad in the sense that affect the identity of a people. It's a world movement, it's globalization. <laughs> it's, it's something to think about. The food, coming back to the food, is very important. Why we appreciate Rondon is the strongest food in our astronomy, and it comes from Africa. Because I had met a lot of African people who came in the past, and we were friends, and they cook Rondon just like us. That makes me more proud to be black and, and proud of my Rondon. People look at you as cruel because you speak cruel and because you're black. But um, cruel is more than that. It's not all. Cruel is being proud of your blackness, know about your history, know about your roots, and have the knowledge to understand that being cruel, we do things different from the rest. To teach her children to appreciate their black Creole identity, she's trying to lead by example through the food she prepares. And soon, she wants to do even more. I'm planning actually to go to the bush and do some farming. <laughs> yeah. Um, a friend is, is giving me 10 manzanas of land, so I'm going to plant beans and rice and anything I can plant. I'm trying to get a project or something, you know. At this age that I have, I feel like I need to plant some, something to leave for my children and grandchildren. Yeah, so when I pass that away and I leave this world, they would remember my grandmother or my mother did this. But even in the country, there are challenges. Many youth are leaving and not coming back. The elders are concerned about the loss of their culture if the youth don't stay. Sometimes we, sometimes we look at the situation and we say it's very sad, no? It's sad that our elders have been working these land in Rocky Pine for so much time. No? They would work the land, they have the kids, the kids would uh, migrate out looking, studying, and not return back to the community. Many young people go to the Pacific side of Nicaragua to study and stay there. Miss Connie works hard to make enough money from her coconut oil and pigs to put her three children through school. She knows that they need an education, but realizes that many youth aren't the same after they leave. And even my children, I imagine they're going to be different because they have to be Pacific like five, six years. So they're going to change. But I just tell them they have to remain with their language, their food, and their way of being, because that makes their Creole. If the, if the youth does not see the farm as a source of economical income, then it's like they would not come back home. So then that's one of the big challenges that we have around um, the Rocky Point community, that we need to begin to work this farm not only for um, comply with self-sufficiency, but we have to be to think about them as uh, small units that could generate income. To help make farming more attractive, they're looking for ways to improve their community's ability to work together.
One way is through a co-op. One of the things that we try trying to do with this cooperative is to create a communal fund in which families from the Rocky Point community could have access to small loans to enhance their agricultural activities. We have been a community that have been impoverished. We get poor because uh, poverty mental, is in our mental 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 mental. And Bob Marley said we need to the main objective of the coop is to export coconut oil. You have 13 farmers that have two mansana or three mansana of coconut start produce. That means we could produce sufficient oil to export. But we need to know where, where we're going to sell because you have people that don't exploit us already. So we're going to look market. You see, being co-op, we could find a good market, maybe. It's going to be a good benefit for us. From last year, we was trying, till now we reached to that level. I think we dare know. The co-op may allow members of the Rocky Point community to expand their coconut oil production and help incentivize the return of their children. This is their chance to keep their kids connected to their Creole traditions. When I asked Miss Connie and Kenneth if they think that their kids will come back, both paused. Well, that's all the hope we have. That's all the hope we have. I mean, it's something that we need to take into account. I hope, I hope. Crab Soup Day is an important celebration for Creoles. It's a time of traditional food, a time when people come back to their roots. Every year I hear, every year I'm here for this crab soup. It's just a big tradition, yes. <laughs> that the people them come from all over the land to enjoy the crab soup. Oh yes, I love it, I love it. When I go, I don't go to eat rice and beans or nothing. I just go to eat the crab because it's so delicious. <laughs> I will be keep my doing it forever. <laughs> yeah. There are big changes happening on the eastern coast of Nicaragua. Creole people are being pressured to alter and give up their traditional food. Whether it's the palm plantations pushing out traditional agriculture, excessive fish exportation reducing stocks in the lagoon, or homogenizing pressures in the city, what's at stake here is more than just food. This is about identity. When you forget your food, your language, you forget yourself. In spite of these challenges, much is being done to hold on to what matters most. Creole people are retaining their rondon and criminal. They are teaching their children the importance of their heritage and finding ways to celebrate their rich history and culture on the coast. Although black is offensive for many, people don't tolerate blackness. I make my children them know, your hair is like this, your skin is like this, because this is who you are. And be proud of it, because black is beautiful. According to me, how I train my children, it will be better. Tradition, your food, your language, that makes you a people.
That's it for this edition of Making Contact. Today's show was produced by Maria Dorr for the Stanford Storytelling Project, with support by Bluefield Sound System, Mikkel Britton, Jake Warga, Claire Schoen, and Bruce Braden. You can learn more about the Stanford Storytelling Project at storytelling.stanford.edu. The music you heard includes Take This Five and Zion O by the Rundown Orchestra. To download a copy of this program or to subscribe to our podcast, check us out at radioproject.org. Lisa Redman is our executive director. Our producers are Anita Johnson, Monica Lopez, and RJ Losada. Quan Booth is our digital content and community engagement manager. I'm Marie Cha. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.